and welcome to uh, another edition of Rider Rumblings. Uh, we've got a new angle this week. The Rough Riders won a game. <laughs> they won at Edmonton on uh, Saturday night, and uh, our man Murray McCormick was there. Good morning, Murray, or good afternoon, Murray, depending good upon afternoon. what time you're watching this podcast. Good evening. Yeah. Welcome back, Rob. Hope you had a nice break. I, think I did. <laughs> Lots of bike riding and dog walking and uh, everything I do yeah. that's not very exciting. Um, I was in Edmonton, and I, I just want to lead this off with in my, since they're covering the riders since 2008, I never thought I'd go to Commonwealth Stadium and see less than 20,000 people for a rider game on a Saturday, regardless of the 8 o'clock kickoff. And that just stunned me. And still, I look out all the empty seats, and, you know, they made a what lot of noise. What do you think the crowd actually was? Well, they told me the last game there was 12,000. So I think I, it's such a huge stadium, maybe 15, maybe, yeah. you know, I mean, this is not a problem that's, uh, you know, that's a fact it's affecting pretty much everybody in the Canadian football league. Yeah. It's, it's kind of scary. Uh, and the thing is, you know, you go to Commonwealth now, it's still a beautiful stadium, but it's dated. Like you can't walk around the stadium and see like you can do it and still watch the game. It's still all blocked off and things like that. So they've kind of, they got this – it's still a great stadium. I love the sight lines. I love the going there and everything like that. But it's just not up to the standards that we expect anymore in stadiums, I think. So maybe that might be contributing. But I remember, Rob, I would go to Edmonton. I, one time I went to the West Edmonton Mall, and all I saw were people in green and white jerseys because they're all going to the game, and they go to the game. A little better kickoff time, I have to say. An 8 o'clock kickoff time out west. Isn't great, but you know TV rules, and you want to have a double header, you got to give up something, something along those lines to accommodate it. But it just maybe I was kind of maybe the World Juniors was attracting more attention than I watched one yeah, of their. But games they're not getting. They're not getting. They're not even <laughs> filling the lower bowl. No. So this there's just a, the world of sports has changed, Rob. You and I maybe sellouts. Are a thing of the past in sports. I I don't know. Maybe unless you go to Toronto. Maybe and for hockey, as, as one person said to me, goes they're just biding time to the to the Oilers open training camp, which is but and that's pretty of... much that's pretty much it. And the CFL across the board needs to push its product more aggressively. Yeah. The teams do, the league does. They think they're doing it, they're not. They do so much within their existing social media platforms, etc., and websites. Well, guess what? You're preaching to the choir there. They need to get out and look for new ways to engage with fans. And they've got an ambitious owner in Victor Quay in Edmonton who's trying a lot of things. There's, there's, yeah. uh, but when you look at those uh, those crowds, it, it does get worrisome. And it's, you know, we've seen the crowds here, and there's really no comparison between what the what the Rough Riders announce and how many people there are actually in the game. Now they they announced the number of tickets sold. I'd love to know what the actual bums and seats count is. Uh, the Labor the Labor Day Classic still isn't sold out. Usually they have announced this. Yeah. They've announced the sellout a lot, well before now. But this was happening to the Rough Riders before the pandemic. We saw the 2019 season when they were in first place and attendance went down from the previous year. Mm -hmm. The pandemic, I think, is really. Uh, complicated a lot of things, but this was happening and they were whistling past the graveyard. They didn't think it was going to be a big issue. And, and, and now it's becoming a sustainability which issue with the Canadian football league. And uh, uh, it's too bad. You look at some of the games this season, they've been tremendous last year. You could say it was a product. Yep. How many games last year were worth watching? Uh, even on Saturday, the rough riders put in a middling performance, but it was still an exciting game. 
with some drama at the end and preceding that was it was a classic between calgary and bc the product you, you can't say the people aren't entertained but what you can say is that are there aren't enough people in person being entertained anymore and that is such a key part of the model they can't just lean on on tv contracts like major league baseball and the national football league nba they need people going to their games it's not happening and i don't think they're doing enough to entice people to go you know what i find interesting rob there were probably as many social media people with the Elks last, on Saturday as there was working media. Yeah, look at, the press about... look at the press box at Mosaic, too. Like, it, it's two-thirds empty now. Yeah, well, they Maybe were... it's my we jokes. Ca <laughs> we counted four, like, working media, like, guys working working for media that day, not bloggers and stuff like that. Like, that's crazy, and I just... As we were kind of, you and I have been around for many years. We remember, remember the old was it Taylor Field press box? We'd be almost shoulder to shoulder. And yeah. we'd go up, you'd line up for food. The line up for food would be halfway around the stadium almost. But you were always just... first in that line. <laughs> That's true. Sorry. Well, look, you got to gain somewhere, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, that that's not really what we're we're here to talk about. But also, I, I think I jumped all over our introduction. So I'll say we have Rob Vanstone. He's the sports editor for the Giant Leader Post. Long, 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 long time. Uh, and my dog. And a dog. Long, long, long time. Leader Post employee and sports guy and diehard book writer and stuff. And I'm Murray McCormick. I've covered the Rider to Beat since 2008. Only been around the Leader Post since 1985. So. I've been here a while, and uh, we're here to talk Rider Rumblings. How's that for an intro, Rob? A little late, but... Beautiful. Yeah, we deferred intro, but what the heck. Um, yeah. Uh, we got down to business a little late, but so did the Rough Riders on Saturday. Um, mm -hmm. he, there's so much to unravel from that game last week. Um, what I find interesting and perhaps alarming is that Cody Fajardo threw a game-winning touchdown pass on Saturday. He's getting absolutely no credit for it. Exactly. <laughs> I keep hearing... Cody this, Cody this, Cody this. Uh, he threw a game-winning touchdown pass. He directed a game-winning touchdown drive. And then he scored an insurance touchdown after that, aided, aided and abetted by a questionable call. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just I, – I wonder if this Cody Fajardo situation is going to become so big that he just can't win and this team can't win. Uh, people are determined – to pile on Cody no matter what. And I think Saturday was a classic example of that. Did he have a great game? No. Did he throw a bad interception? Yes. But what did he do after the bad interception? He directed a game-winning touchdown drive. And he seems to be getting no, absolutely no credit for it. And uh, I don't know. I just, I think there's kind of a toxic environment in, in Ryder Nation that's, that's, uh, that just is not healthy. No one, speaking of healthy, but no one's talking about the fact that he ran and looked almost like his former self. Like yeah. There wasn't a limp. He had speed. He had explosiveness. What did he have? Ten, was it eight carries for 56 yards, Rob? Or someone, ten or eight or ten, something in that neighborhood? I was counting you to remember the numbers. But he, and he, he'd do, as I like to say, his Fajardian spinorama moves. He spun yeah. his way out of trouble. He, he raced, outraced defenders to the sidelines so he wouldn't get hit. He got hit a couple times and got up fine so i'm kind of thinking with other quarterbacks to be a celebration that this guy who's had nothing but injury problems since the week two seems to be over them and now we're going to see what happens at practice to see how sore he is now because i have a feeling that he might be a little bit banged up but we'll see what happens on that front but you know and it's there's, there's eight, no, eight carries for 51 yards it, it carries so i was close i was in the and two touchdowns and two touchdowns so 
why are we talking about that instead? And I know in the I the bye week was one that you mentioned the word toxics is so apt for that one. I thought that was one of the ugliest bye weeks I've been around here. And I've been around here since 2015. You know, some of these horrible starts when bye weeks and people, but the, everyone just cards everything on the team, well, except for the defense. The defense gets lots of accolades and well deserved because that wasn't a great defensive effort in the first half, but boy, did they turn it up in the second half. Yeah, all four Maybe. sacks in the second half. Yeah. So J- Jason Shivers makes adjustments. Yes. Uh, I'm not and, sure what's being done on the offensive side of the ball, but maybe that's toxic too. I remember a long time ago, Paul Lapolis took me aside once because he went because that's back when he was and he was being accused of not making any halftime adjustments. And he showed me, he says, You don't really make a lot of adjustments, you make subtle ones. And he showed me his sheet and stuff. And maybe maybe halftime adjustments are a little bit overrated, but the riders had to decide and they had 30 extra minutes because there was that lightning delay that they gave them 15 extra minutes to kind of uh you know, get things settled down. So the defense made adjustments and the officers, but we also have to keep perspective, Rob. I think it's the Elks. That's a team very similar to 16 when Chris Jones came here and uh, took a while to get things going. And uh, it did, but boy, there's Taylor Cornelius looked pretty good. Didn't you think? Could run well, running, running the ball. He did passing the ball. He did passing the ball. But you guys wouldn't have believed how windy it was. And I, it was one time I looked up, and at one end of the end zone, the flags are almost straight out. At the other, with the goalpost side is the two, two little orange flags at the top of the goalpost weren't even moving. So and that's the thing, kind of, too. Like, there's a lot of commentary about Cody, but what you don't get a sense of when you're watching on television is the degree to which the wind is impacting the throws. It, it, I don't want to keep making excuses for him. I think he needs to play better. He's acknowledged that. <clears throat> but I don't think this is the disaster that, some people are painting it as being, and uh, I don't know. I just, I just don't know what he has to do. And I watch him play behind that offensive line, and there's times he's bailing out when there isn't pressure. And I just wonder if there's enough confidence in that offensive line. And people are criticizing Cody perhaps for having happy feet in the pocket. Wouldn't you <laughs> playing behind that line? Yeah. I mean, Edmonton's rushing three guys, and they're they're getting pressure. They rush. They rush three plus they, they have a blitzer and he isn't picked up by by any of the offensive linemen and, and he gets gets home. Um, even you don't have to blitz to get pressure on the rough riders. You don't even need to send four guys. Um, and I wonder if it's like having a an unfaithful partner. And <laughs> let's say you let's say that this partner isn't cheating on you, but aren't you looking over your shoulder anyway because you know that that might happen. And I wonder if that's somewhat remotely analogous to the Cody Fajardo situation in that with that offensive line, you just can't be sure. And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I think you have there has to be a wariness when you're in the pocket and maybe you're seeing seeing or hearing ghosts. And uh, the, the failure to reinforce that offensive line ultimately could bring down this entire season. But can what can and, they and do? And that's now? on Jeremy O'Day. What can, what can they do now, though? They can't can do it they, now, but that but that's an off-season failure. It's a total also, off-season failure for Jeremy O'Day and Paul Jones. But it's an off-season failure, Rob, because they set their priorities. They knew, yeah, it. but where were their priorities? They they knew they had a bad offensive line. They did nothing to fix it. It's worse. Yeah, it's worse, but they, they set a priority of resigning Duke Williams, getting Sankey, getting uh, Moncrief, and some getting these other guys. That, cause which we, is the nice. Linebacking course, which is nice, but they can't protect their marquee player. No, and, that's, and they couldn't but, do it last. They couldn't do it last year, and they're worse this year. 
I'm trying to remember so, how many marquee offensive linemen there are out there to really would have adapted this. And we kind of thought, I, you I wasn't need, so... You don't, need, you, don't need, you don't need free agents. Go find one. There's yeah. tons of American offensive linemen coming out of the NCAA, former NFL players, whatever. That's that's where you get a lot of the players who, who enter the, the, the Canadian Football League. You don't have to do it by a free agency. Is there not somebody out there who's better than what they've been putting out there on the field? And, the, and they seem to have no solution for it. They signed Jamal Campbell. They aren't playing him. And the Ty Rogers now has 14 penalties. He has three games with three penalties. The, the, he's allowed a sack in, in three consecutive games, and he keeps playing. There's how could they I'm... not have seen this coming during the offseason? And how could, they, how could they have whiffed so monumentally in fixing this? There was one too. Yeah, Cody think. gets all the heat. Yeah. Cody Cody Fajardo gets all the heat. There's I mean, also one play where sorry. There's also one play sorry where for the uh, sorry I didn't my my email beeped. I'm sorry about that, Rob. Uh, there's also one play where he tackled a guy. I'm trying to remember the play where Cody rolled out to one of the sidelines and Rogers just literally tackled the guy down. So, but I know it's just but we get accused of having Cody blinders on. You know that as well as I do. We, we, I, I was out golfing with the guy yesterday, and he said, well, how can you guys keep defending Cody Fajardo? Why don't they get somebody different? I said, who are they going to get? Right now, how do you get another quarterback at the halfway pole, pole of the season to come in and do they don't need. They don't need do? to get anybody else. I go back to 1979, and Tom Clements comes to Saskatchewan and is playing behind an offensive line that is – actually, last time I checked, it allowed fewer sacks over uh, – Tom Clements played seven games in Saskatchewan and 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 was sacked 21 times. Fewer times than Cody Fajardo was sacked over his first seven games this season. Tom Clements came here looking very much like a Hall of Fame player. He'd already won a, won a Grey Cup uh, with the Ottawa Rough Riders. Uh, all of a sudden, he's playing behind a bad offensive line. He plays seven games, two touchdown passes, 11 interceptions. Mercifully <laughs> is traded to the Hamilton Tiger Cats and resumes playing like the Hall of Famer that he proved to be. So Tom Clements... Uh, already a Grey Cup champion, uh, a future Hall of Famer, seven games with Saskatchewan behind a bad offensive line, two touchdown passes, 11 interceptions. Cody Fajardo playing behind an offensive, an offensive line in 2022 that is arguably, and I think quantifiably worse yet, 10 touchdown passes in eight starts this season. So Tom Clements, Hall of Famer, two touchdown passes, 11 interceptions. Cody Fajardo, 10 touchdown passes. More, and the touchdown passes outnumber the interception. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think you can spell it out any more plainly than that. It's Cody. Obviously, there's plays he can make that that aren't being made. But what he's doing behind this offensive line, I would argue, is more of a testament to Cody Fajardo than a than a than grounds for 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 um, criticizing the starting quarterback. He's doing it with no protection, and nothing was do done to fix this. How do you? Deal with the underthrows, Rob. That that's the one. You know, you kind of like some of the passes that should be darts or throwing a bit of an arc or a little bit behind the guy. Even even the cat the pass to Duke Williams is a little bit behind. I don't think it was behind the shoulder or to the the backside shoulder. I think it was just a little bit behind him. And and Duke being the receiver he is, he could come back. But doesn't that concern you that the the passes don't seem to have the zip and they don't seem to be like you know? But that one pass with Duke, if he throws it on the line, Duke scores. Yeah, it's a touchdown. Uh, that's a touchdown, but he threw us a bit of an arc. So those are the things that are kind of like, what, what's going on with that? Is that knee related? Is that like is having never thrown related? a pass? Having never thrown a but, pass, it was on a dart. <laughs> I just, 
but okay, look at the look at the uh, look at the pass where he underthrew Duke Williams on on the, what proved to be the game-winning touchdown drive. Uh, that has been frequently cited. What I'm not hearing is often is on second and ten, Cody Fajardo throws about as great a pass as he's ever thrown uh, on a deep on a dig route to Keon Schaefer Baker yeah. for 22 yards on a first down. Tremendous throw. There was there was no margin for error with that pass, and that's a second and ten pass. Now, if he doesn't make that completion. What is the discussion this week? And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, there's some throws that uh, that need to be better. I'm not I'm not painting him as Kent Austin, Darian Durant, Kerry Joseph, Ron Lancaster, Glenn Dobbs, or even Tom Burgess at this point. But when you look at the circumstances he's facing, I would argue that there are circumstances that none of the aforementioned quarterbacks ever had to face, and that few quarterbacks in Rough Riders history have had to face, because very seldom has there been an offensive line offensive line that is this bad. And what he is doing with that line in front of him is uh, borderline miraculous. And yet all I hear is, why aren't they playing Dola Gala? Like, it's, it's, yeah. it is so ludicrous. Is it the whole offensive line, Rob? Are we just, it's just maybe just the tackles that seem to be the absolute No, I mean, uh, Logan Bandy had a chance to get in the way of, a, of the blitzer on Saturday. Jeff Fairholm tweeted, uh, sent out a tweet with a video, with a screen capture. I mean... Uh, it does not help that they've been through three centers this year. Uh, you had in your report card today that right guard Evan Johnson has not uh, performed at an especially high level. I think Logan Furland's had a decent year, but he's not Brendan Labatt at left guard. And uh, I think the offensive line as a whole is a problem, but the tackles, it should be theoretically be easier to find an American tackle than a Canadian interior offensive lineman. And uh, sometimes it's, it's easy to... Uh, look at the tackles because they're playing on an island and that the guards aren't necessarily in that same position. So maybe it's some of their errors are overlooked, but you just, you look at the tackle situation and it has to be better and it isn't. And uh, they had all off season to fix this. Have I mentioned that yet? <laughs> Jim, I was listening to one of the talk, talk shows yesterday and uh, Jim Hobson, who was a former offensive lineman and president of the Rough Riders mentioned a good point that a lot of time with Rogers, he's pushing the guys inside. So that means the pressure's on the guard to help out the tackle instead of running them outside of the offensive line in at the quarterbacks. And that's a pretty that's a point. Think about that, Rogers. If you think about how many guys have gotten in on his inside shoulder, so there's a pressure on Evan Johnson to have to block him and stuff. So all the issues like I know I kind of wonder what we're gonna see this week. Do they stick Jamal in there and just say enough is enough? But there's not enough it. time. It, how much time? Like I know you got to be next if man. They, up if, they, if, they, if they've got nine games into the season and have concluded that Jamal Campbell isn't good enough to start by now, what is miraculously going to happen between now and then to make him a better player or make this decision more obvious to them? Does it appease um, Rider Nation, Rob? Does it give? Uh, you know, I don't think they care about appeasing Rider Nation. They don't make decisions to appease the fans or the media, no. um, nor should they. Uh, I think they're basically stuck with what they've got and somehow it needs to be better. I don't know if it means, you know, do you need Albert Awachi and James Tuck in there at all times? Do you need to put a spike belt behind the, the offensive line to trip up opposing <laughs> players? Uh, like, honestly, I just, they've got, they have got to schematically work around it because they're, I think they're stuck with what they've got. You might be able to get some NFL cuts, but by the time you get them and they filter through the system, you're, you're, I think you're well into September and there's so few games left in the regular season. We're already at the half halfway point midway through August that what can, can really be done. I, 
you know, once upon a time in 1997, Andrew Green came back from the NFL and was an impactful player and helped the Rough Riders get to the Great Cup in 97. Uh, I'm not sure that there's going to be that answer, but they'd better be looking for one. Jeremy O'Day has been down at NFL camps. Um, a, uh, you would hope that he'd be flanked on the flight back with a couple of, uh, <laughs> a couple of 320 pound tackles. What a, Jeremy's day has been under a great deal of criticism, and I think that's it. But can we throw a little bit of credit towards him the fact that he traded for Mario Alford? And who's, yeah. who's, he made that dumb play where he came out of the end zone and cost of safety, and that was a, and that seemed to be the the, uh, the catalyst toward the, towards the Lions win. But what what a pickup. Like a missed field goal return, a great play, another one. He gets, so they needed a position there. They, they needed to do something. They needed to take some of the workload off of Jamal Morrow and Frankie Hickson. And they get Alfred, and what an acquisition! That was that was two. That was a great. He's made two and a half momentum changing plays, and I think so. Maybe give him credit. He did make an in season move that worked. And getting yeah, Alfred and, in. I, I mean, he, he's one kick return and one punt return touchdown shy of becoming the fr- becoming the first rough rider to have a return kicks for the cycle in a season um, for a touchdown, uh, punt return, kickoff return, and uh, and missed field goal return. And he's had three punt return touchdowns in his career. So you got you get the feeling over the last nine games he's probably going to get that one. Um, that 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 was a tremendous pickup by Jeremy O'Day. And you you mentioned the free agent additions and what the kind of linebacking core that they have. Um, they they made a lot of good moves. It's just the moves that they didn't make are the ones that may come back mm-hmm. to haunt them. That that was the smoking gun coming out of last season, and they knew it. And I just don't see that it's any better. And and we're talking about a lot of the same offensive line issues and a lot of the same offense issues that we were belaboring last year. That gets old pretty quickly. Offensive line. So do we. <laughs> four and five at the break. I can't remember what four. we discussed. Four, five and four. Got it. Dyslexics untie. Sorry, folks. Uh, was that expected? I can't remember what we did. We discuss no. what would have been a legitimate record at the, at the halftime at the midway point of the season. Did this think- is this should this this is supposedly the easy part of the season. The yeah. first half they've placed they've faced only one top tier team, that being BC, and they ended up being humiliated by that team. Uh, mm-hmm. They've lost they've lost three times the Eastern opposition. You would think they would have needed to build themselves a better uh, buffer coming into the second half and the tougher games. This is a team that you would think would be seven and one at worst six and three coming through uh, this stretch of the season where you're playing a lot of the soup cans and uh, instead they're five and four and granted they're, they've got as many wins as the Calgary Stampeders are not entirely out of it in the West, but you, you watch the way that they've struggled to beat a bad Edmonton team twice. And uh, you wonder, okay, can they compete with the teams they are now preparing to face infinitely tougher competition BC Lions twice in a row, Winnipeg Blue Bombers twice in a row, Calgary twice in a row to end the season. Uh, there aren't any, all the free space, most of the free spaces of the, on the bingo card are gone. They've got one more game with Edmonton. Edmonton has proven not to be a free space for the Rough Riders. Uh, so that's the thing. They just haven't built themselves any cushion, and now they're getting into these tougher tougher games. I'm just not sure what you can really realistically expect from this team. There was a time they did have a cushion. Remember way back when, when they were four and one? <laughs> And we, yeah. we kept we kept in perspective saying they're beating up on the East Division team because everyone was beating up on the East. But they still, and I remember Craig Dickinson saying these wins count just as much in July and August as they do in October. So they they did have a bit of a cushion built up, but they've completely blown it away in what they're going to do to catch up. And I think 
holy smokes, like what what are, can we even talk about the Rough Riders in the Great Cup or well, other than the Great Cups here, <laughs> other than that, but well, I mean, when you're talking crossover in in August, what does that say about this team that you back they, they can't give up on a crossover in August and make that your goal until because that's not real. You and I were there one year as they tried to go to the crossover. They came within one Cody Fajardo quarterback sneak of getting actually getting to the great one, cup. One, one Ricky Ray completion of James Wilder Jr. on third and five. So until one team actually goes through the crossover and gets to the great cup, it's it's part, partially realistic, but it's not the way you want to go. Like the, the East Division Plus, I mean, teams. People, they've, they've lost to Montreal already. They've lost twice to Toronto. So why is that? You know, why is there any, why do you look at the crossover and think that there's really any promise there? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too, too gloomy about the Rough Riders prospects. Maybe they'll come out on, on Friday night and light it up. But honestly, they have, they have a lot to prove. And if they can prove that they're a better team than I currently think they are, I will write that in a split second. But how, how do you go into the second half of the season and think that, that if you, how do you think this team is going to go? They're five and four right now. Can you realistically think that this team's going to go five and four over the second nine games, considering the caliber of the competition? And how That'd much be, tougher it gets. If they can, impressive. If, if if they can go five and four, that means they're taking some wins away from. They're winning a lot of four pointers against West Division competition, and and that could that could stand them in very good stead as far as the West Division playoffs go. They've got to get some wins that start dragging BC and and Winnipeg and ultimately Calgary down to down to the level where the Rough Riders can supplant them and get a home playoff game. But right now, that seems like a really tall order. They would have to go. Seven and two, or something, to get a home playoff game at this point right now. And when you consider who they're playing, I don't, I don't know how they do it. I think defensively they can stand up, and they're going to yeah. get healthier now. Pete Roberts is coming back, AC Leonard is coming back, uh, Garrett Marino is going to be coming back, so they're going to be getting some of their bodies and some of their their strength positions back, and so they can do. I think defensively they can help them out, but boy, defense wins championships. But you got to have an offense to set up that defense and. Until that happens, I I don't know. It's gonna the crossover may be the thing to go, but boy, as I say, talking crossover in August is almost defeatist. You've got to you know, be but, thinking. But think what think of the competition. Think of the conversation we could be having if the Rough Riders hadn't beaten Edmonton on on Saturday oh, night. Then I you're not talking that. crossover necessarily. You're talking can they make the playoffs via any in any fashion, and that's the I think that's the importance of beating Edmonton, and 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 they they squeak by them so. Yeah, it was a double-digit disparity at the end, but Edmonton has an unforced error inside the Rough Rider 10-yard line that leads to a fumble. A um, mm-hmm. bit of a phantom officials call. Uh, it, it was everything they could do to get past Edmonton. Uh, but but the fact that they've done that, they've now won the season series and they, they've established some distance between themselves and Edmonton. So at least you can talk about the crossover and some entry point into the playoffs that seems to be founded in realism at this point. But had they lost that game, can you imagine? I mean, it's already been kind of an ugly week and they won the game. Can you yeah. imagine what the tenor of the discussion would have been had they lost that game? That pyramiding call, I've watched it over and again, over again, and three pyramiding calls in one season, is, I've never heard of it that before. And I don't even know if that was pyramiding, like, whatever I understand. It looked like he just put his hand on the guy to go by. It didn't like he used it to, to elevate himself, but... You know, that's that's what happens when you're a struggling team. Bad things happen to you. And Those things follow you around. Yeah. You know, you're bad for a reason, and, and, and you can't separate bonehead plays and, 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 and bad, you know, 
bad calls sometimes and being a bad team. Sometimes those things follow you around. You put yourselves in position to have those things happen to you when you're not very good. And uh, that's, uh, that's Edmonton for you right now. But speaking of not very good and very good, I'm excited to get to see Nathan work play again in real person. Yes. Like he had a, he struggled the first half against Calgary and a struggle for him is not really, it's not the end of the world, but they were down a struggle by struggle for him is a flurry for the Rough Riders. <laughs> yeah. I think they were down by 17 points. Cause I, I had to drive to, I went to the stadium at one point. So I missed that. He'd thrown a pick six, thrown a pick six. And then he comes back with that second half. Cause I got to watch most of that. And it's, it's just, what is, what is the CFL got more than him right now? Is he the story of the year? And I think Winnipeg is always going to be up there at the top, but I think Rourke's the story of the year. I think what he's doing, what he's doing for Canadian quarterbacks, even if he was an American quarterback, I think he'd still think be drawing the, the on The fact that he's attention. Canadian is almost incidental to the discussion right now. He's yeah. just so uh, amazing. And uh, I'm not sure how much longer he's going to be in the Canadian Football League, but this is a marketing tool that the CFL has had that they haven't had in years. That's something they've got to capitalize on. And they've got they've got to get him out there as much as they can get him out there, there and as widely as they can get them get him out there because there he's an absolute uh marketer's dream. And if the Canadian the CFL can't capitalize on this, then they're they're totally inept. I think they also have to be cautious so with Rob a little bit without getting him out there too much and not overwhelming the young guy. I know he's twenty-four, but not overwhelming him too much with all the attention and trying to work with him a little bit, but maybe you know, just sell a kid, sell a kid, and sell a kid because he is, he's he's also a great person for the league. He's a great personality for the league, and just, and I think that'd be good to see him. But I just like watching him play. And one of the oh. things, and I know his salaries, he's making almost like Canadian receiver money. <laughs> I think about yeah. eighty grand. So you look at the BC's receiving cores with Dominic Rhymes and Brian Burnham and Keon Hatcher and Lucky Wade. So they have. A receiving and they, core. And they didn't get Kenny Lawler. They put in a big bid for Kenny yeah. Lawler. Imagine that. Holy smokes. What would they be? Oh, they'd probably only be seven, eight million. You know, Javon Katoy. Um, yeah. like, uh, I love Javon Katoy. I, I think he's one of the great Canadian receivers, I think. So, I mean, it's it really is a, an amazing thing to watch. And, uh, I mean, that that game on, on Saturday against Calgary, I mean, he just keeps raising the bars. You think, you've, you think okay, Nathan Work's pretty much done everything you can do to make you – Marvel and we're not we're only halfway through the year and it's like then he goes and does that and it's one thing to do it against Edmonton and and say okay yeah he's fatting the stats against Edmonton but then you do it against Calgary Stampeders and you do it in the fashion that he did and it's just my goodness and uh it's just one of those players you just there aren't there aren't a lot of players anymore where you just you want to see them play in person this is a this is a marketer's dream I look at last year and the most outstanding player in the league is Zach Kalaros and 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 kudos to him but Zach Caleros isn't going to sell any tickets there's no buzz around that he's been around for a while and and um this is this is new it's exciting it's it just happens to be homegrown and it's a phenomenon and and you would you would hope that's reflected in the attendance on on Friday night and throughout the league homegrown and American trained though that's always that's you know I know you sports coaches are getting much better we're always going to give them credit but he went down to the states and played at a pretty good program and got pretty darn good come up here and you know the buzz right now is can he go to the united states will he go to the nfl i, I thought he had another year left on his contract so i'm not quite sure because i think rookies signed three-year deals so i'm not 100 sure about this i don't know if he can go down to the states next year or not or or the lions will stand in his way allowing him to go try out but i don't know sometimes 
Sometimes the grass is greener at home, isn't it, Rob? Sometimes just to stay here and get everything you can from the CFL, the the marketing. The, I mean, you can always, I think you can always come back, though. Yeah. You can always come back. I think quarterbacks uh, get a little tougher other positions. <laughs> that seems you know, to be you, the... I think you got to take that NFL shot when it's there. Yeah. I think you absolutely have to. Um, even if, it, even if you go down there, look at Dave Dickinson. He went down to San Diego and was an afterthought. Came up here and just resumed being a, came back yeah. and resumed being a Hall of Famer. Ricky Ray, same thing. Henry Burris, same thing. I think you got to take your shot when they, when it's there. If it looks like you're just not being brought in as a camp arm, mm-hmm. and uh, when you look at some of the quarters, you look at the 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 lack of caliber, high caliber quarterbacking in the NFL right now. I don't. Uh, I think you, the, the the circumstances are very. There's teams that team. There's still teams you're looking at in the in this in the in the NFL and thinking, do they have anybody who can start? And look at look at Denver for a number of years until they got Russell Wilson. So, I think if you're if you're reading the the climate too, you're Nathan Work is saying, well, they're not only am I uh, doing very well, but they might need me down there because there's a there's a quarterbacking crisis in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe not a crisis, too. but there's there's yeah. a there's a lack of there's a lack of depth at quarterback that certainly make would make that even more inviting than the allure of the National Football League would 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 uh, fundamentally be. I find it interesting that Victor Q uh, predicted Queen. the uh, Queen, sorry Victor would uh, the, the Elks would win four games in a row, and since he made that prediction, they're going to. So. <laughs> <laughs> but at least he's at least he's he's getting out there. He's he's trying to trying to create a buzz. This is what this is what teams need to do. It's called marketing the product. It's called selling your brand. It's, you know, you look at, you look at uh, professional boxing matches or MMA and, and what are they saying? I'm going to destroy my opponent, blah, 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 blah. It's all hype. It's pre-fight hype, but that's how you sell the game. That's how you get people interested. And, and uh, that's how you, you've got your base fans who are going to go, but if you want to go beyond that fundamental season ticket total, you got to give people a reason to be inter- be intrigued about a single game purchase, and that you got to build up the, the game and create some drama, even if there doesn't appear to be much. And uh, I just don't see that happening. It's all we respect our opponent, and uh, you know that mm-hmm. kind of, that kind of. Well, nobody's going to buy tickets to watch that. You got to create some grudge matches. But then what happens, Rob? As soon as a guy does that, someone in the media slams him for doing to try and like, someone can say, "Well, that's you shouldn't do that. You should be more." along the straight lines, blinders on day, one day, one day at a time, one week at a time, one game at a time. We're one, we're one and oh, we're, we're just oh and oh and stuff. And we, we hear it all the time. You always, you know, how many times have we heard that? And it'd be kind of nice to have that sort of, you know, that hype it up thing, but it's, it's not going to happen in football. The coaches are too, uh, well, too locked down and, and just and trying and to they win wonder the why they, And then they wonder why they have empty seats yeah. and they attribute it to so many factors uh, maybe they need to look more inwardly and think, are we doing enough to sell our product? I don't think it's happening across the Canadian Football League. And it's, it's been an argument I think one could make for, for decades, and it's no different now, although they've they've certainly had plenty of uh, reasons to be alarmed. And certainly there's been, after coming out of the pandemic, I think there was every incentive for them to be more proactive and assertive than ever. And uh, to me, it just even seems to be the same old songbook and the same old tunes. Well, it was funny, when I was walking into Commonwealth Stadium, I was there a little early because I don't know why it wasn't any traffic. I I said to, to uh, the reporter I was with, is, is there a game on today? Where's all the people? There was no, and there was a little bit of a tailgating thing at the end of the end of the stadium that I picked on. They had a band playing. I'm really looking forward to going to Vancouver to BC next next week 
and seeing what the Lions are doing to sell out, to, to pump up their games. They're doing pre-game DJs and stuff. And they've always done a little bit of that. I think they've really kind of accelerated. I think the Riders do a pretty good job. I think we have to give them credit of selling the pre-game part, party in the park and all those kind of things and getting people, kids in there and doing stuff. So they do a good job of that too. So there's, there is some of it taking place, but I don't think there's enough taking place. I don't know what you do to Toronto people unless you grab them off the street and lock the gates behind them and let them out some, somehow. Because Toronto has as, as good as a pregame product as I've seen and a great game product, in-game product that should be entertaining but just doesn't seem to draw people. And what Gary Stern is doing in Montreal is is that kind of hyping it up, kind of, you know, guaranteeing wins and those kind of things. But it, people are kind of – some people do make fun of them rather than saying, let's just get in the spirit of things. It's yeah. We're going to have some fun. We're, we're going to predict wins. It's sports. This wins. isn't it's... life or death. I mean, have some fun with it. You know, it's – they treat it like it's – it's uh, this militaristic fat, uh, mindset about it. It's sports. And you're, you're fundamentally in the business of selling tickets, so go do it. Yeah. You have nobody to blame but yourselves if people don't show up. Because you 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 can't say the product's not good this year. It's, it's exceptional. And you've got stars in this thing. You've got people that – that uh, fans should go and want to see, but you got to do everything possible to entice them to, to get there. And I just don't see that all stops are being pulled out to, to do that. Yeah. And we could have the same discussion 10 years from now. Hopefully <laughs> we're both still here and uh, you will be. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but who knows uh, if it'll be any different. We've got a scoot. Um, so I'm going to sign off with our eloquently, I hope stated outro and, uh, and then we'll roll. If you enjoy the podcast, what a start. Please leave a review and a five-star rating. Five stars is a must. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And every one of these always includes wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know why everybody uses that, but they do. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email, email me at rvanstoneofpostmedia.com and we'll read it on the show. We've gotten so many questions this year that we have yet to read one on the show. So please send one. Uh, you can eat, follow me on Twitter at R at uh, I don't know my Twitter handle at Rob Vanstone or Murray at Murray LP. And as always, please do not send Murray Mandrick tweets to Murray McCormick. Uh, we have two different Murray M's at the LP. Anything you want to say before we sign off, Mur? Uh no, I'm just uh, you know kind of looking forward to seeing Nathan work play, which is kind of says something about 19. We kind of wanted to see what Cody Fajardo would do in 19, and now we're trying to see what the opposing quarterback's going to do. So. Does that Perfect. say the way things have changed? It does it ever. For Murray McCormick, I'm Rob Vanstone, and uh, we will talk to you uh, next week. Thanks for being with us as always. Well.